Um, and so I'm super excited that you chose to be here this evening. Uh, my goal, my prayer, is that you're going to walk out of here feeling very comfortable talking to people about faith. What I have experienced in the past is that most people would love to be able to, uh, but when they get in those situations and environments, like, I don't know what to say, you know, and so they're like, I don't know, Jesus, uh, and so, um, and so uh, I'm excited for what we're about, uh, what we're about to experience. So before I do that, let me just pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your uh, wonderful and beautiful mercy and grace. Uh, we just want to stop for a moment and acknowledge you for who you are. You are the God who is above all things. And you are sovereign over all things. And Jesus, you are um, the lover of our souls and the one who has died on the cross. So we don't have to pay a spiritual um, a spiritual price that we can't afford to pay. And Holy Spirit, you are the one who indwells us. And I thank you, Father, that you have gifted us each in very unique ways to tell your story. Uh, thank you that you left us on earth to do that very thing. And so I pray in this evening that you would help us to understand how you wired us uh, to tell your story in very effective ways. Thank you that you've already lined people up in our lives uh, with which to talk about you. Um, and so I pray this time would be beneficial. For your kingdom's sake, in your name I pray, amen. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, let me say this. That uh, for me, talking to people about Jesus is something that I have always uh, wanted to do. And have found ways to do it. Let me just give you a couple examples. I was a freshman in high school. And there was this guy at our school that was on the swim team. And back in those days, if you fall started, I think, three times, you were disqualified. So he's on the blocks. He's holding on. And the timer's going. And he starts leaning. And he can't hold on. And he falls in. So that's one fall. Second time, same thing. He falls in. And he fall starts. Third time, he's holding on. starts leaning. And he is not going to let go. And he holds on. All the way around. Bam! Hits his head on the pool deck. Severs his spine paralyzed and so I went to the hospital to visit him and see his family as a freshman in high school he's a senior uh, went to his, what's a freshman going to do in high school talking to a senior who's just paralyzed um, and I went to see uh, to his family and see him and I just wanted to encourage him in the Lord and we went into the chapel at Kauia Delta Hospital and there was a lady in the chapel older lady she's probably 30 and uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's crying in the chapel. And I just felt this thing inside me that said, you need to go talk to her. I'm a freshman in high school. This is, uh, this is obvious. She's probably, uh, realistic. she's probably in her 40s. I'm like, what do I have in common to share with a 40-year-old woman in a, a hospital chapel? Um, but it was one of those things where I just thought, it doesn't matter what you think you have to offer or not. God's put you in this position. You need to go to so I went up to her, and I said, uh, it's obvious that you're hurting. I'm a freshman in high school. It's obvious that you're hurting. Um, I know someone who can help you with the pain that you feel. And she said, so do I. His name's Jesus. And I said, absolutely. Have a good day. And the, <laughs> what, what I learned is that I'm responsible to be faithful. God's responsible for the outcome. Do you understand? And so many times we get in those situations. Where we're like, well, I don't know what to say. What if they say? Blah, 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 blah. All I knew is that I had to go see this family 
And I had to talk to that woman. Fast forward to my uh, senior year. I'm not going to say the details, but me and my buddy ended up being handcuffed. <laughs> uh, and um, and this, my buddy said, hey, if, if, if I know you're a Christian, if, we can get, if God gets us out of this, I'm going to accept Jesus. <laughs> I said, all right, that's awesome. Uh, long story short, they decide to let us go. Uh, they uncuff us. And it's probably 1230 in the morning. We're walking down the streets of Isolia. And I told him, I said, hey, you said that if God got us out of it, you'd accept Christ. He said, you're right, I did. I said, get on your knees. And, uh, and so right there in the gutter in Visalia, I led my friend to the Lord. Um, that winter, our youth pastor said, if you get three people to go to winter camp, high school winter camp, you go for free. I got 50. Um, because there's just something inside me that loves to talk to people about Jesus. It's been there since I was little. Um, uh, and, and, and so that's why I get so excited about this. Because my hope and my goal and my prayer is that I know you have the desire to. I want to give you the tools so that you can get excited about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So evangelism is what we're talking about. Um, Matthew 28, 19 is wrong. Here's the basis of the whole thing. Therefore, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all. In that command, the primary verb, guess what it is? No, the primary verb is make disciples. The primary verb is make disciples. The secondary verbs are as you go, make disciples. And as you make disciples, do two other things. What? Baptize them. Get them involved in the fellowship and teach them. Grow them up. But the primary verb in the Greek construction of that verse is to make disciples. How do you do that? As you go through life. That's all it means. We all have so many different walks of life. As you walk through life, the primary verb is to make disciples. Once you've made a disciple, you incorporate them into the fellowship. That's baptism. And you teach them. Do you understand? So you've been given one, we've been given one primary task after Jesus, before he ascended back to heaven. And that one primary task is to, thank you, Jeff. Give me, give me a little bump there. Exactly. Our primary task is to make disciples. As you go. As you go about your work, as you go about your school, as you go about your family, as you go, just make disciples. And then incorporate them and then teach them. So, Think about it. Once someone accepts Jesus, there's only two things on earth that we can do here that we cannot do in heaven. You know what they are? One of them is sin. The other one is what? Tell unsaved people about Jesus because everybody in heaven is going to accept him. And so if there's only two things we can do on earth that we cannot do in heaven and God leaves us on earth after we accept Jesus and one of those two things is sin, what do you think God left us here to do? You understand? So we have one job. We have one job. If my friend Chuck is, is watching, Chuck, you got one job on earth if you're a Christian is to make disciples. Everything else is secondary. You have these handouts. Um, get this one out here. It says, who's in my huddle? And then the backside, it asks, uh, 
uh, there's four different uh, areas to write on. Your huddle, right here, it's 8 to 15 people in your life. And that, that, that number moves around depending on where you are and what's going on in life. But there are 8 to 15 people that the Bible word is oikos, household. Our word is huddle, because that makes sense to me. Uh, so there are 8 to 15 people in your huddle whom God has placed there. And they're of varying different um, groups of people. Uh, and so, let's, I just want to walk you through this, and then, then I'm going to teach you some stuff about it. There are people in your huddle who are pre-Christians. That, that's, that's how we talk about people having accepted Jesus. They're pre-Christian. And those are those who have not placed their faith in Jesus yet. So as we go through this, I want you to think through who in your huddle are pre-Christian. You can do it right now, or you can take it home and do it. But as you think of people, I want you to start writing names down. Okay? Are those who are on the front row of your life. It's not just random people you know who don't know Jesus. These are people that you have relationships with. They're people that you rub elbows with on a somewhat regular. Free Christians there. There should be prodigals there. Prodigals are people who, uh, who are, is, do I have this? I think I have this on slides. Oh, yeah, look at that. I got a whole bunch of slides. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did these slides. <laughs> I'm not even clicking through these things. Um, so they're prodigals. Those are Christ followers who aren't following Christ. So those four groups of people are people who are going to comprise your 8 to 15 in your huddle. And so what I want you to do on this piece of paper is start writing names down to fill in people in all four of those groups. You won't have equal people in each group. Um, but start putting names to them. It's, 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 it's very important why I want you to do that in just a moment. Now, there are also people on the conversation, and, and he said, no, I don't know what's going to happen to my mom. And I said, well, honestly, I'll tell you, ultimately what's going to happen is she's going to die, as are you, as am I. And so I just know that when I die and I face God, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great reunion. How about you? And I had a chance to talk to him about faith. And it was just one of the, he was on the sidelines of my life. And it, it just, it's just one of those things that God puts him there. For what purpose? For what purpose? You know the answer. I have one job. Yeah. Yeah, that's my job. And, 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 so, and so I want you to think through, who are these people in my life that fit in these areas? And I want to encourage you to start writing them down. Now, I have my list, and it's in my desk, or it's in my Bible, and I look at it daily, and I have names written down on it. And some of you are on my list because you're purposeful. Some of you have been on my list because you were ones that God was putting in my life to talk to you about Jesus. Uh, and, and so I, I regularly I pray over this, and I want you to do the same. So, um, so once you get that down, okay, once you get that down, then what you do is you go to this side, and this is what you do with that list. You list them. Step two, you pray for them. That God will draw them to Him. Uh, you invest in them. You watch for when you're with them. You watch for the conversations that come up because you're thinking strategically about the conversations that you're having. You invite them to church, to events, to opportunities where they'll hear about Jesus. And you prepare your life to be an example to them about a Christ follower. Do you understand? Okay, so, um, so that's that. 
Here's what I want you to do right now. As you wor- work through that, and I really do want you to, I, I want to challenge you to actually write names down on that piece of paper, those in your huddle. One, so you will realize who the people are that you're bumping into in life who are in your huddle. If you don't have many people that you have relationships with that are non-Christian, you have some work to do. You're a Christian. You've got a lot of work to do because there's no way you can fulfill your job if you don't have relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Do you understand? If all that is on your list are people who don't know Jesus, you're going to die as a Christ follower because you don't have anybody in your life who's pouring into you. Do you understand? So it will help you identify where am I, where am I balanced, where am I out of balance as far as my own relationships are concerned. And then it, that will become your prayer list every day that you're praying for these people. Do you understand? Okay, so here's the questions I want you to think, and this is not a guilt thing at all. But I, what I want to do is start to change your mindset to think about how you are doing at fulfilling your only job on planet Earth. Okay? So I don't mean to be a guilt thing at all. Let's ju- I just want us to think in terms of if this is so important. So here's these questions. Who's the last person that you personally led to Jesus? Who's the last person you personally led to Jesus? You talked to them about Christ. You led, led, led them in a prayer, commitment to Christ. Who's the last person you personally led to Jesus? Every Christian should have someone who's on the forefront of their mind. Because when you get the opportunity, it's so much fun in a personal relationship. So, secondly, who's the last person you talk to about Jesus? Not everybody you talk to about Jesus is going to accept him. So you got to have a lot more people you've talked to about Jesus than people you've led to Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? So who's the last person you had an actual conversation with about Christ? You ought to have a long list of that. And then thirdly, who are those you're currently talking to about Jesus and those you're praying for to receive Jesus? So there should be people in your life, if you have a a balanced huddle, uh, who you are actively talking to periodically. I'm not saying every time you see them, have you accepted Jesus yet? Uh, I'm not, not, you know, but it's not hard to introduce a faith conversation in people you have relationships with. It's really not difficult. And we'll, we'll talk about how to do it in just a minute. But there ought to be people that you have that you are actively talking to about Christ or at least praying for. You understand? So think about this. The, the prayer that God will always answer is the request that's in line with his word. And if his, the Bible says God is actively drawing all people to himself, God is not one that any should perish, but all should have eternal life. And so if that is God's will, when you pray God's will, guess what God will do? His will. And so if you have people in life who don't know Jesus, and your constant prayer and plead before the Father is, please pursue these people, use me to reach them, God, would you save them? If that is his will, which it is, those prayers get answered. Do you understand? And I won't point people out, but some of you are here because you have been on my prayer list. And probably a lot of others. I don't want to like be the one like, hey, mm, thank you. Probably a lot of others um, because God answers those prayers. But if you're not praying for them. So, um, so I, w- I want you to consider the difference, and I talked about this a little bit on Sunday, the difference between a Pharisee and a disciple. Okay? Now, Jesus and the Pharisees did not get along because the Pharisees were really religious people. 
but they had no clue about the Messiah, Jesus. But they loved to study the word, the, the scriptures, and they loved to tell people how to live because they thought they lived right, rightly, but they never led anybody to Jesus. Those were the Pharisees, and, and, and they were just always at odds with Jesus. And all the, most of Jesus' fights were with the Pharisees, the religious people. Then they were the disciples who also studied scripture, who also instructed people on how to live rightly, but the disciples constantly were a part of Jesus' circle and bringing people to him and ministering on his behalf. So consider then which one you are most like. And again, not a guilt thing. Let's just do some self-evaluation of how we have been living. If we have studied God's word, and we know how to rightly live, but are not bringing people to Jesus, are we more like a Pharisee or a disciple? You think we eat me? You can answer because you're a disciple, but you're the person you're sitting right next to probably is not, right? So if that's, if that's kind of how we're living, are we more a Pharisee or a disciple? Thank you, Richard, for saying it out loud. Why are we afraid to say it? Why are we afraid to say it? Let's just, I mean, we can't fix it until we identify it, right? Now, now, if you're a Christian, a church person, you don't want to be a Pharisee. But the only thing that makes a difference is your relationship with Christ and bringing people to him. So, again, one more time. Those who are not bringing people to Jesus, are they a Pharisee or a disciple? So let's just understand, right? we got one job. You understand? Okay, all right, all right, all right. Let me move on. Now, spiritual gifts. The Bible tells us that after we accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit has gifted us in certain ways. And those spiritual gifts are giftings, and they're not the same for everybody. There's a spiritual gift of hospitality. There's a spiritual gift of, of, of teaching. There's a spiritual gift of encouragement. There's a spiritual gift of, of uh, intercessory prayer. There's, spiritual, there's all kinds of spiritual gifts, Okay. And so the Holy Spirit gives people spiritual gifts. Now, one of the spiritual gifts is evangelism. Okay? That's, one of, that's, one, that's a spiritual gift. It's one of my top spiritual gifts, so that's why I love it so much. And so if your number one spiritual gift is evangelism, what should you do? Does that make sense? That's why I love it so much. That's why I loved it when I was a boy. That's why I've, I just, it's hard for me to get away from. If your number one spiritual gift is something like hospitality or teaching, what should you do? No, you haven't read the Bible. You should evangelize. <laughs> you don't get off the hook. Let me tell you why. Because of what Paul told Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, 5. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship. What's the next phrase say? Do the work of an evangelist. And discharge all your duties of your ministry. If your number one spiritual gift is not evangelism, guess what you do? You evangelize. Now, if your number one spiritual gift is not evangelism, it will be work. You have to figure out how to do it. You've got to train yourself how to do it. It's not so much work for me. I mean, it's, it's, it's just comes now. It's my spiritual gift, so it's not hard. I love doing it. 
But for some of you where this is not your spiritual gift and you don't like to have these weird conversations with people and you're not exactly sure what to say, you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, can I just introduce them to you? <laughs> and it will be work. But you don't get a pass. Do you understand? If you take a pass, are you becoming more of a disciple or more of a Pharisee? You understand? Isn't this good news? <laughs> so here's, the, here's, here's tonight. Here's tonight. Learn the tools and build a habit. Learn the tools and build that. So I'm going to give you the tools. I'm going to give you the tools. You're going to build the habit. Do you understand? We clear? Okay, so here's the tools. On this other piece of paper here that, by the way, Miranda, where's Miranda? Thank you for all of this stuff. Miranda developed this, printed this, Charlie cut it. <laughs> Miranda, you are phenomenal, man. I tell you that much. Fantastic job. So thank you. Um, so on this side, this is the Romans Road. Okay, this is the Romans Road. This is a really super easy path to lead someone to Jesus. I encourage you to have a working knowledge of the Romans road. It starts in Romans 3.23. What's Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then it moves to Romans 6.23. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't have it up there. Okay. Um, and so then it's Romans 5.8. What's Romans 5.8 say? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? So all have sinned. The wages of sin is death. God proved he loves us so much by dying for us. What's the next one? 1 John 1.9. What's that say? If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So all have sinned, the wages of sin, Jesus loves us, here's the way out. You understand? What's the next verse? Romans 10, 9. What's that say? If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how to do it. And the last one is what? Revelation 3.20, which says... Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. We'll fellowship together. It's Romans Road. It's real easy once you know it to walk people through. Of course, in the Bible, the Bible says that we've all sinned. Have you ever broken a law? Yeah. Have you ever broken God's law? Oh, I'm a pretty good person. You can't even obey your own laws, let alone God. I mean, you know, it's not hard to get people to admit that they have sinned. The Bible says the wages of that sin is death. But there's a free gift called eternal life. And God proved to you how much he loves you because he sent his son to die for you. And all you got to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he's Lord. You, you, I mean, you see how easy that is? And he's knocking on the door of your heart right now. He just wants to come and have a relationship with you. That's what the Bible says. So you can either choose to reject the Bible or believe the Bible. That's I'm just why I don't want to share with you what the Bible says. Now, once you understand this, it's pretty easy. So that is a tool to use. But you can't use it if you don't know it. Okay? So that's a tool I want to I give you to make sure you do that.
And on the back side of this is just a great graphic to understand who your huddle is. So let me, let me give you another tool. And this is what I want you to see this dry erase board. And I've used this with so many people. Used this with so many people. In a conversation with someone, and, uh, and, and you're getting to the point of, you know, closing the deal necessarily, and, and you want to give them a graphic of, well, let's just understand where we are in our spiritual life. You know, we have a physical life, we've got an emotional life, we've got a spiritual life. Let's just understand where we are. And so the, this, this graphic goes like this, and it's a real easy tool to ex- sit down with someone and explain to them about the, the process of accepting Jesus. Um, it goes like this. And so let's say that life is comprised of two cliffs. And this is me right here, and I'm on one side of this cliff. And this is God over here on this side of this cliff. And... Um, there's a separation between us and God. And, and if you're talking to someone, like, well, I mean, would you agree that, like, you're not walking hand in hand with God, right? I mean, no. Okay, so here's, here's, here's our problem. We try a lot of things to get from where we are to where God is. And inevitably, they all fall short. We try to be good. It just doesn't work. We can't be good enough all the time. We try going to church, and that gets us a little further, but that just ends up falling short, too. Because, after all. Sometimes church is boring, you know, we all know there's hypocrites there, we can't find a good one we like, and uh, I just don't want to go all the time. And so, like, that hasn't closed the gap. I, I got some bad habits, maybe I'll get rid of all my bad habits, and I just can't get rid of them all. They keep coming back. Whether it's my behavior, my attitude, it just, you know, I just can't. And, and no matter what I've tried, it all falls short. I just can't close the gap between me and God. I mean... Don't you under, haven't you experienced that? And the Bible says that when we try that and it all falls short, the end, according to what the Bible says, is death. All of sin will fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the good news is that there's a free gift of eternal life. But we have to get from where we are to where God is. How do we do that? Well, the Bible says it comes through this thing called Jesus. And Jesus is the only thing that bridges the gap to go from where we are to where God is. It's Jesus. It just gives them an example. And this is what I do then. I say, Jeff, it's been great talking to you about this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take the, and I just want you to write somewhere along here where you are in this process. And if he's not a Christian, because that's who I have this conversation with, if you're not a Christian, and you think, okay, where am I on this? <laughs> yeah, somewhere. Yeah, and so, things. And so, it, wherever they mark, the, rarely ever are they going to say, you know what, I am right here, brother. I, I mean, God asked me for advice. That's what I'm saying. That's, 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 nobody's going to do that. They might put here, they might put even right here. I'm pretty close. And then the question is, that's great. You want to close the gap with me right now? You want to close the gap? It's real simple. You understand what I'm saying? This is a great tool to give people, okay, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. So the Romans wrote in this tool is the thing that seals the deal, if I want to use those words. But I want to teach you how to get to this point of sealing the deal, because that's the problem. Okay? But, but if you don't get this down, and I can't tell you how many people we work, how many pastors we work with that don't even know how to seal the deal. It's 
terrible that people haven't developed the tool to help people confess with their mouth and believe in their heart. And so you have to develop a tool. My encouragement is Romans Road or this Clifting. Okay? So, so, so but let me, let me help you understand how you are gifted and wired to get them to the point of closing the deal. Okay? So you have on that sheet there six evangelistic styles. Right? And so I want to walk through these six. And what I want you to do is I want you to identify which one you are. It'll make sense as we go through it. So, so this is your discovery portion right now. This is your discovery of how God puts you together to uniquely tell his story to people who don't know his story, who haven't accepted it yet. Okay. So the first evangelistic style is the intellectual style. Intellectuals attempt to make a case for Christianity. Uh, they use a breadth of knowledge. They use historical proof, philosophic constructs. Um, they use common reason and rationale for Christianity. They, they seek to speak to people's wills and thought and decisions to engage their minds. They enjoy the reading of material because it feeds their, okay, this makes sense, this makes sense, this makes sense. How could you not understand it? They're intellectual that way. Acts 17 is an example of that. Paul is in the Aragopis, a place of debate and conversation. And he tells the people about God who don't know God. And he uses their desire for truth philosophically to engage them in a debate and a reasoned discussion about the nature of God as revealed in Jesus. And he uses a statue to an unknown God. He said, what you people worship, you don't even know what you worship. Let me tell you about the God that you worship. And he gets in this philosophical discussion with them, this intellectual debate with them to explain who Jesus is. The biblical examples of this are obviously Paul in Acts 17 and Jesus in Matthew 22. Those of you who are intellectual in this way, the strengths of this approach in an intellectual debate with someone about faith is that there, it validates and protects the truth of the gospel from contextual situations. So it honors the, 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 the truth of gospel. It contextualizes the gospel without compromising it. It tears down intellectual walls and barriers that keep people from Jesus. You can't, it, it prevents people from arguing themselves out of faith. And people who are intellectual this way tend to be very good learners. And so they're always sharpening their skill. Now here's the weaknesses. People who are intellectual tend to get stuck on academic points and evidence rather than just focusing on the simplicity of the gospel. They may present the gospel as a mere intellectual concept rather than an incarnational where Jesus, this is, if any of you are old school like me, Lee Strobel, Lee Strobel was an atheist. He was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, I believe. And he set off in this intellectual endeavor to disprove Christianity. Uh, and he came, got to the end of his case in disproving Christianity and accepted Christ. And then he wrote a book called, uh, called what, The Case for Christ. The Case for Christ. And he boiled it. He was such an intellectual. He boiled it down to... This makes such sense, there's no way you can deny it. Here's the danger in that. If you're not a Christian, you're stupid. That's what he said. 
and that just doesn't go well. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? But, but, but that's, that, that, that's kind of who, that, that, and this can overwhelm or humiliate people in the process of explaining, explaining Christianity if you just keep it all intellectual. Do you understand? But some of you are wired this way. You don't mind the debate. You don't mind the argument. I got all the constructs. Let's get it on. And you're not, you're not mean. It's not a confrontation. It's just a debate. So how many of you would say that you are wired this way intellectually to be this type of evangelist? Jeff, Wyatt, yeah, we have two intellectuals here, all right? I love this type. I love this type. Uh, and, and just because this isn't your primary type doesn't mean you don't learn it. Do you understand? Uh, and so you need to understand that if you are wired this way, then the way you share Jesus is to actively engage in these types of debates and conversations and, uh, and interactions with people. You seek it out, you develop it, you lead the conversation these way, this way. And so, Jeff, what, what, what might it look like for you to engage in a conversation with someone and use that intellectual approach to talk about Christ? Um, a lot of questions. And we do try to get them to see the end specifically of their own life. Okay. Um, like, to say that, like, they, some people say, like, how can, how can there be a God with so much suffering? Okay, did you hear what he said? He said you, you, you get the conversation going in that way where you ask the questions. And one of the questions oftentimes people ask in an intellectual debate like that is if there's a God, why there's so much suffering? And the intellectual response is how can you call it suffering is there, if there is no God? Because the idea that there's a suffering means that there's good and bad, right and wrong. Without God, where's the good and bad? Where's the right and wrong? There has to be a standard, right? It's an intellectual debate. So why you had a conversation in your dorm room about this very thing with one of your roommates. How did that go? He didn't, <laughs> he didn't accept Jesus, so I don't know. Again, are we responsible for the interception of Jesus? No, it's the woman in the, in, in the chapel. You're just responsible to act. And so how, what did that conversation look like as an intellectual with other people that had questions? What did it look like? Um, it was good. I mean, we got some, like, really, like, really deep, like, conversations. What were those? Because you shared with me some of those points you were um, making. Like, um, the whole thing that Jeff was talking about where if there is a good and bad, that good and bad has to come from somewhere. So, like, what is, like, what is the, what the, the thing that says this is good and this is bad? Which is the moral argument. That's the way the intellectual would say. Let's talk about the moral argument. Yeah, you can't call something bad if there's no moral good. Yeah. Why about just like making them defend their own points instead of questioning us? I say, well, how can you think that? Mm-hmm. And then we don't have much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes a lot of faith to be atheist. It takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. There's the argument from design. There's the, the ontological debate. Uh, or, or argument, there's the argument, uh, the moral argument. There's all these different things that, as an intellectual, I love talking to people about because it's real hard to argue. Did you know that in no culture in any civilization of the world has it been okay and appropriate to torture babies for pleasure? Cultures have tortured babies before, but not for pleasure. So in no, in anywhere in the world, in any society, in any culture, at any time, has it ever been okay in any culture to torture babies for pleasure? If that has been consistently wrong and evil across all generations, all time, all societies, all cultures around the entire world, 
Where does that idea of right and wrong come from? It's got to come from somewhere. There's nothing in the animal kingdom that's like it, only in humans. So how do you explain it? There's got to be some objectively binding moral morality. You understand? That's why relativism falls apart. If anybody ever tells you they're a relativist, say, that's fine, walk up to them and go, BAM! They can't do anything. Because what's right for me is right for me. What's right for you is right for you. So you can't respond to me with anything other than taking it. Because that was right for me. The moment you retaliate, now you're implying that there is a moral, objective, moral binding standard that I have to live by. You understand? See, evangelism's fun. So, some of you are intellectual. You're bent that way. Some of you need to learn that style, though. Just because it's not your natural doesn't mean you don't learn it. So, uh, the, the second one, I kind of like this one. <coughs> Confrontational. Uh, there are times when the times call for confrontation with truth uh, rather than the dental persuasion and personal testimony. There are times. Perhaps there's gross misinformation or there is blatant disregard for decency where people have to be confronted with the truth and the gospel. People who are wired this way do not mind the fight. They do not mind at all. And they're not concerned about people's feelings. Um, there's just something that has to be defended. Um, and they don't need people in these situations to like them. That, that, that's just, and, and it's a legitimate style of evangelism. Acts 2 is an example of this very style. Peter tells the people to repent and be baptized. And he's in their face with the gospel. If you read what he says in Acts 2, it is incredibly offensive to what he says. Incredibly offensive. Uh, Billy Graham was an example of this style. And he was a master at it. And he painted a clear picture of God's plan for life, and he leaves a person with a decision to make. You have to decide right now. Very confrontational. And some people are wired that way, and they do not mind calling people to a decision right now. You've got to decide. Um, biblical examples, of course, Acts 2, Acts 7. Look at what, what it says in Acts 7. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers. You've received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed their teeth. That's pretty confrontational, right? It's biblical. The strength of that is that it gets to the truth right now. It deals with falsehood in the area very quickly, and it gives a clear path to confessing faith. The weakness is it can be perceived as harsh. <laughs> Some people can feel like you're unloving. And it may value winning the war rather than saving a soul. You understand? So, are any of you wired confrontationally like this? Feel this a little bit? That's why I feel and I get along so well. So, so am I. But at the end of the day, there's... I mean, what I know happens before anybody. Yeah. So, you're, you're also, and we're going to get to another style that you are very much so. 
And those two styles come together, that and this, very, very, very well. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. If caring about their feelings causes you to not speak truth, no. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't want to play it as if I don't care about people either. I do. That's why I'm willing to confront them for gospel stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's what that looks like sometimes. Like you're not afraid to say, look, just, this is just what I know what I know. You're going to argue with me about it? There's a decision you've got to make. I know what I know about God, and I know, I know what I know about you. And the fact is, what the Bible says, I believe it. This is what it says. There's, there's no debate. There's no question. You've lived like this forever. You've completely ruined your life. How are you going to argue with that? Tell me. Tell me what you have done has led you to any good right now. You lost your job. You lost your wife. You lost your dog. I mean, you are a walking country song. How has this been good? And it seems really harsh and unloving, doesn't it? But remember, I have one job. And if they're headed for hell, sometimes that's the only thing people respond to. Does that make sense? So, if you're confrontational, embrace it. Don't be, a, don't, don't be you know, an ass about it, but just embrace it and understand who you are and how you're wired. God made you that way. It's all good. It's all good. And I'm going to wrap this all together at the end of this thing. There are some, this, uh, there's another style, which is invitational. People with the invitational style are the Martha Stewarts of evangelism. They just love setting the table. They're, uh, they're, they're hospitable, and they're always inviting people to events. They're always inviting people. These are good, fun people to be around to have in your life. They network well with other Christians because their mindset is we have to save people, so I'm going to be purposeful in my networking of other people so that I have other people that I can invite them to. Uh, they're bringers, includers. They may be the life of the party or simply the quiet mobilizer, but they are orchestrating relationships and events. John 4 is an example of an invitational style. A woman goes to the well. A Samaritan woman goes to the well in the heat of the day because she doesn't want to be around the other Jews. They don't get along with each other. And who happens to be there? Jesus. And this, this conversation ha happens around this well. She comes in contact with Jesus. Um, and out of that life change, she goes back. And what do you know what she does? Huh? Yeah. She starts inviting everybody to go meet Jesus. The Samaritan wooden, uh, woman in John 4. Uh, the, uh, Levi or Matthew in Matthew 5, Jesus in Mark 1. These are all invitational stuff. Um, one of the things, the ways we talk about people with the invitational style is um, we talk about things called Matthew parties. Matthew was an invita inv invitational evangelist. Matthew used to be a tax collector, which was hated among the Jews. They were Jews collecting money on half of Rome from Jews. Robbing from them, stealing from them. Matthew, because he was an IRS agent, hung out with all the prostitutes and drug addicts. 
Uh, and so Matthew it, it, it comes in relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says in Matthew 5 that he throws a Matthew party. It, it, it was, it was, it was a, a time when he invited all these degenerates to his house. And he didn't say one word about Jesus. He just invited Jesus to be there. And he threw a Matthew party. And because he invited all these people who are far from God to a party where Jesus was, Jesus got to interact with them. Do you understand? So some of you are wired inventationally, and you're never going to have an intellectual debate about Christ. You're never going to have uh, the, the confrontation, but you are going to be the key people that organize Matthew parties where you invite people like me and Jeff and Wyatt and Phil, and we'll do the dirty work <laughs> and love every minute of it. But I guarantee you, Phil and I never going to plan a party for you guys to come to. <laughs> right? You might show up, and we don't mind having the conversations. But you need to understand that some of you are gifted in, as an invitational evangelist. And there's no, there should be no, like, I feel bad because I can't argue someone in the gospel, and I can't have these big debates with people. You shouldn't. Now, you could develop that skill. That's great. It's called maturity and growth. That's fine. But your primary style of evangelism is just invite people. My son Joe is an invitational evangelist. You know why I tell the story that when we moved here and he was in kin uh, uh, kindergarten, <laughs> uh, he was in junior high, and well, you know why I tell the story that Joe hit the RMS campus, what is now RMS, it was at Liberty High then, but he hit the campus, and within a couple of weeks, he had 40 junior hires meeting at our house every Wednesday night. You know why? Because that was his evangelistic style. He was, a, he was an inviter. And he just started inviting all these kids. He was an inviter. The first baptism we had at our house, I pulled Joe aside. He said, seventh grade. And I put my arm around him and said, Joe, I just want you to stop for a minute. And I just want you to look at all these people that are getting baptized. They're here because of you. He's an evangelist. But he's never going to argue intellectually <laughs> someone in his face. I love him, but he's just not. But he has never met a stranger that he would not invite to church. Do you understand? And so if that's how you're wired, embrace that. Embrace that. Now, how many of you would say, you know what? Okay, that one, that, that's what that me. I'm an inventational evangelist. Okay, good. Embrace. So your goal now is start thinking what's happening at church, what's happened at my house, what's happened in my neighborhood, then I can invite people who don't know Jesus and invite people who do know Jesus for the purpose of letting the people who do know Jesus talk to those who don't know Jesus about Jesus. Do you understand? When you start understanding us, it starts all working together. Why? Because God has us here for one purpose. So those of you who are in inventational evangelists, how does that look for you? How have you experienced that in the past? Maybe without even realizing it. Absolutely, that's the way. Without a, people who, who, who are wired this way can have conversations with neighbors in a way that invites neighbors and they respond. People like me, I don't even know my neighbors' names. <laughs> I just, 
because I don't care. I mean, if they want to have a debate, I'll debate them. But don't look at me as if I'm bad. God made me this way. But that's it exactly. Like, like it works when you invite people, just like it did for my son Joe. It just works. And so embrace that. Start, here's the deal. Start hosting Matthew parties. And I guarantee if you host Matthew parties during COVID, everyone will come because everybody wants to get out and do something. Start hosting Matthew parties and invite me. If I know there's going to be non-Christians there that want to talk about, that maybe don't even want to talk about Jesus, I'll just talk to them about Jesus. So, the next one is interactive. Oh, no, testimonial. I skipped one. I'm out of order here. Testimonial. Testimonial-oriented people emphasize the openness with their own stories. Phil, this is exactly what you were saying without even realizing. You said, I know what I know. I lived it. Openness about their own stories. As they listen to others, they're reminded of how God has worked in their life and what God has done in their own life. Their personal stories point to Jesus. And they tend to be vulnerable about their personal lives, especially their ups and downs. John 9. Biblical example of this. There was a blind man. Jesus healed him. And they asked him, what the heck happened? You used to be blind. And the guy's like, I don't know. I couldn't see what happened. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Like, I'm blind. How do I know what happened? He says, all I know is I used to not be able to see, and now I can't see. They said, how did it happen? I don't know. All I knew was before I couldn't, and then there was Jesus, and now I can. Testimonial. Do you understand? And so all their conversations get to the point, I don't know, I can't explain it to you, I can't argue anything. All I know is I used to be this way, and then Jesus showed up, and now I'm this way. Here's the beautiful thing about testimonial Evangelist, nobody, as Phil said, can argue with your story. Is anybody going to argue with you about what you've been through? No. <laughs> Why? I knew that I felt that I saw it. How are you going to argue with that? How many of you want to argue with Phil? <laughs> For many different reasons. Except our neighbor who lives back there. He'll argue. No, not anymore. Uh, yeah, I'm saying, like, it's your story. It's the most powerful thing you can tell. So people who are testimonial evangelists, you don't have to know all the, the oncological argument. I don't know the argument from Zion, the moral argument. That You don't have to know any of that stuff. All you have to know is your story. And there's not a person in the world who can argue with you about it. And all I have to say is, look, all I know is who I was, Jesus, who I am. And if you don't want it to be your story, you don't have to be your story. I just know it's my story. But here's the thing. People with testimonial evangelists, you have to get to the Jesus part. If you say, I used to be and now I am, People are still lost. You understand? So, um, the strengths. The strengths of the testimony appeal to the imagination of others' life experiences. It's just like, wow, really? Um, they identify with people who make them feel affirmed. Because everybody's going through something. And they build relationships through their empathy and vulnerability. Like my story that I saw. The weaknesses... They might rely too much on their experience rather than the gospel. That's what I'm saying when they leave Jesus out. 
um, they may communicate that the gospel is subjective. Like it doesn't, like, like, well, if it works for you, it works for you. If it works for me, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work for you. Like it can't be subjective like that. It has to be gospel of Jesus is the difference. Um, people who tell their testimony might fail to tell the Jesus part because they get so wrapped up in their story. My friend Demando down south, uh, dear friend, grew up hard. Watched some of his friends get shot. He was, I mean, it just grew up hard. Um, and through Joe, uh, we got to know this little boy named Chris, his son. Uh, and um, Demando was an alcoholic. And as soon as he woke up in the morning, started drinking, didn't, go to, didn't stop drinking until he passed out. And so through the relationship with our boys and Joe's invitation of their son to many things when he was, Joe was in third, fourth grade, um, we got to know Demando and Tammy. Uh, and we started inviting Demando and Tammy to church. Uh, and the, their son got involved in, a, in a, uh, a little musical that we were doing. And, and the, the way Demando tells the story, he said, I told my wife Tammy that one morning, this one fateful morning. He said, um, yeah, let's go to church. And he said, I had a huge hangover from Saturday night. Figured we'd sit up in a balcony. I could sleep through it, put in my time, tell you I was there, and then leave. And so that's what they did. He came to church. He was so hungover. Um, and he sat there in church. And after church, he's like, okay, let's go. And they walk out, and he goes, oh, I'm done drinking. And Tammy said, do you mean for the day? He said, no, I'm done. Something changed. And they accepted Christ. And baptized him and his son. Uh, These are our dear friends. The only thing he can tell you about Jesus is, I used to be bent for hell and a drunk. And then Jesus, and I've not tested since. Who can argue with him? You understand? Some of you are testimonial evangelists. You don't have to know an argument. You don't have to know proofs. You don't even have to memorize the Romans road. You just have to tell your story and make sure that they know the difference is Jesus. How many of you would be testimonial evangelists? Yeah, absolutely. So how does that look for you? How has that played out in your life? Absolutely. And what you said is perfect. I accepted Jesus. Stuff changed. That's it. Right? Nobody can argue with it. Some of you have a story to tell. And if you have a story to tell, you need to tell it. But you cannot leave out Jesus in the middle of it. You understand? Otherwise, it's just a, you're just another self-help book. That's all you are. And this is a lot more than self-help. Right? This is heaven and hell. So, all right, um, interactive. Interactive people tend to focus on establishing relationships as an avenue to verbalize the gospel. They're, they're very good relationship builders with people. They're able to create space for people. They reach out to people. They feel quickly accepted uh, with them. And they just wait patiently for a strategic, teachable moment to verbalize the gospel. They are, they are the people who can walk with someone for years and years and years waiting for the moment. Um, 
They're prepared to apply the gospel to various situations and friendships as they, that they find themselves in, but they can wait with great patience because they know that God's going to open up an opportunity at some point. John 1, John 4. Um, Andrew gets Simon. Philip gets Nathaniel. These are brothers and friends. They've been with each other for a long time, and finally one of them gets to know Jesus. And they're like, I, I got someone in my life uh, that I'm going to tell about Jesus. The biblical examples, of course, Andrew and Philip, like we talked about, Jesus, the Samaritan woman. The strengths is that people who are interactively evangelists, they easily make people feel affirmed and comfortable and heard. They easily make friendships with people and can carry those friendships for a long time, dropping moments of Jesus in their lives along the way of a lifestyle of friendship. And they value the uniqueness and the individuality of the other people. So it's not forced. It's not contrived. It's not like this one cookie, cookie cutter fits all people. Do you know what I'm saying? Like what are their unique story that allows me to enter into their story and through the process of a friendship drop these Jesus moments to get me to the point of actually having a conversation with the you know, Romans Road or the Cliffs. The weaknesses they might not be willing to risk the relationship for the sake of the gospel. And that's a real weakness for people who are wired this way. I don't want to offend them. And I can't handle if they get upset at me and we're no longer friends. And they sacrifice the gospel for the friendship. You understand? The weakness is they may never get to the point of sharing the gospel. Because after all, they're too important to me to ruin a friendship. If they're that important to you, it seems like the gospel would be one of the things you'd be itching to share. Um, the weaknesses are people who are wired this way may need to work on boldness and speak in truth as far as Jesus is concerned. Um, and they may need to learn not to shy away from conflict and difficult conversations. How many of you think you are wired this way? Like I got the friendship and a lot of you. How has that worked for you in a positive way in this area of evangelism? What's that? Because you probably prayed for a long time and kept the relationship healthy and safe so you could have that opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, Craig, how long did she watch you? Years. Wow. Yeah. How else have you seen this work in your life? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, Brenda? That's awesome. That's awesome. This was my grandma. My grandma was married to my grandpa for 40 years. She was a Christian. He was not. And after 40 years of marriage, he finally, after watching her life, got on his knees and accepted Jesus as an old grandpa. 
because she just quietly lived her life, would talk to him about it, didn't shy away from the gospel at all, uh, but was always praying, always in relationship with him. There was never a confrontation, but there was a gentle witness. Do you understand? But she was smart enough and mature enough not to shy away from the gospel. Uh, lastly, there is the proclamation style. Proclaimers seek opportunities and circumstances to communicate the clear gospel outline and the need to respond. They don't mind making a proclamation in public or in private. These people are, they take the initiative and they utilize a straightforward approach to the gospel. And there's a sense of urgency, like now is the day, today is the day. I would love to lead you through this prayer. This, this kind of played my hand a little, showed my hand when I said, would you take this pen and write your name? Like, where are you? You want to close the gap? You, you understand what I'm saying? That's that proclamation style. Um, Acts 8 and Luke 4. Proclaimers seek opportunities and circumstances to communicate the gospel in a clear outline and the need to respond to it. Um, the strengths... They oftentimes provide a very clear and biblical communication about the gospel, about Jesus, about salvation. They're always prepared to share the gospel, as the Bible says, in season and out of season. And they initiate, they're great initiators and creators of opportunities instead of just passively waiting. So the ones we just talked about, uh, the interactive ones, that's just a real patient and it's biblical. I'm going to wait till the opportunity's there and then I'm going to seize it. Proclaimers, we don't wait. We create the opportunity. Um, the weaknesses will not connect with all types of people. Um, we'll confuse information with communication. Sometimes you just want to get the info out there. Um, and can be very rigid uh, and uh, unadaptable. So, are any of you proclaimers? Patient, Patient is? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've had plenty of stories where you've had the opportunity to interject yourself in a conversation with someone about Jesus. Are you wanting to give one? I don't know if we have enough time for you to give one. I've talked to your brother-in-law. You guys are the same. There's a lot of words coming out of your mouth. Confrontational, right? I mean, that's how we roll. Uh, that, that, uh, so, so, here, so here's the thing. One of those six fits who you are. Uh, and I want you to begin the process of engaging who you are purposefully with those in your huddle. Don't try to be someone you're not. If you're an inviter or, or, or a, 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 yeah, an inviter like a Matthew party person, don't try to get in a, a philosophical conversation with someone. If you've got a testimony, tell, tell your story. Put Jesus in the middle of it. That's all you have to do. Uh, if, 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 if you're a confrontation person, don't try to create warm fuzzies with someone walking through life with them. It's not gonna, you're going to turn them off of the gospel rather than... You understand? So understand who you are. Now here's what you have to here's what you got to get. And I'll be done pretty soon, but I want you to stay with me through this. I want you to stay with me through this. This is very important. Hebrews 1:4 says this. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? The greatest treatise we have in the scripture about angels is in the book of Hebrews, primarily chapter 1. And in chapter 1 it says angels are ministering spirits sent to those who have accepted Christ to help us. 
So here's the thing. You have at least, once you've accepted Jesus, you have at least one angel. You might have more. Uh, some of you need more for protection. <laughs> but you have at least one. And that angel's job is to aid and assist you. So this whole idea of guardian angels, it's actually pretty biblical. Here's the problem. Angels don't do a thing you ask an angel to do. Angels function under very clear lines of authority, just like the military, to the nth degree. And the only instructions they follow are those of Christ. They will only do Christ's bidding. When Christ says this, they do it. Now, they're sent to help you, but they will only act on your behalf at Christ's direction. Let me tell you the problem with that. Jesus says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before whom? The angels of God. If your angel stands in heaven at the ready to help, he's like, Jesus, John needs help right now. I'm ready to go. You cut me loose, I'm... And does he look for John and John's prayers that he will act on his behalf? No. Who's he look to? He looks to Jesus. And Jesus is standing there going, stand down. He's not acknowledged me before people. Stand down. I know everything you could do for him. You could step in right now, make everything, close him out as a lion. Part the sea. Raise a dead body. You could stand down. Why? Because he hasn't evangelized the people God has brought to his life to acknowledge Jesus before people. You understand how important this is? Not just for people's salvation, for your benefit. I just wonder how much angels could have done for us already had we done what the Bible says and done the work of an evangelist and acknowledged him before people. Do you understand? We need to share Jesus boldly. Let me encourage you with this. God knows how he's wired you. You are not a surprise to him. God knows those he has gifted as inviters, as confronters, as proclaimers, with a story to tell. Within, he knows. He puts you together that way. And because of that, he will put people in your huddle who need to know him and who will respond to how he's wired you. If God is sovereign in control of all these things, he's not going to put people in Phil's life that aren't going to respond to Phil's story. Because God wants people to come to him more than Phil wants to tell people about him. So he's going to put people in Phil's life that's going to respond to your story. You inviters, he's going to put people in your huddle that will respond to the invitations. The confronters, he's going to put people in my life that I can just get to it. Do you understand? Because he's orchestrating all this. So do the work of an evangelist the way God has wired you to evangelize. It 
will work. So lastly, I want you to think in two ways. Who can I invite to Christ? Or who can I tell about Christ? And who can I invite to church? Just think in two ways. Who can I tell about Christ? And who can I invite to church? And do the work of an evangelist. Do you understand? So here's your homework. You have those huddle cards, right? So your huddle is those 8 to 15 people. Some will be Christian. Some will be pre-Christian. Some will be prodigals. There was at one point when I was the president of the RYF board. My goal and my prayer of being the president of the RYF board is to get every board member at church. And I did. They don't come anymore, and I'm not involved in some of their lives anymore. But every person on the board was coming to this church. Because I thought in two ways. Who can I talk about Christ, and who can I invite to church? I sat with one of the coaches that I that was on that board and that I coached with in high school as his world fell apart. And we would go to my backyard after practice many times uh, and we would just talk and watch with him through some incredible things and led him to Christ and watch God turn stuff into just amazing things. Why? Because I have one job. And the relationships in my life that I have with people exist for one of two reasons. Either to partner with me in evangelism or as an object of evangelism. Those are the relationships I have in my life. You're either a partner with me in evangelism or you're an object of evangelism. That's it. Because I got one job. And guess what? You do too. So do the work of an evangelist. So take that card, write your, fill that out with those people on your huddle. Follow those five steps. That's what start praying for them every day. That God will draw them to them and give you an opportunity to share according to your style. Jesus with them. People will move in and out of that huddle. Depending on what's going on in your life. You'll take people off, you'll put people on. Some will be on there forever. And when someone's on there as a pre-Christian, then they finally accept Christ, then you move them to a purposeful. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? But that's the focus. So take that huddle, keep that with you, put it in your Bible, put it in your dashboard. Of your, so you have these names in front of you, you're praying for them all the time. You're thinking purposefully, how can I talk to them in a way that fits me? And then learn the tool, Romans Road or the cliffs, so that when it gets to the point and they've said, Phil, I've seen the change in you, man. What is it? And you say, dude, it's, I don't, you know what I was. You know what I am. Jesus is the big difference. How do I get that? And you know the Romans road. Or you know the cliff thing. Or you come over to my office and let me talk to him as well. No, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Here's the thing. Learn how to walk people across the line of faith. I'm going to show you, it's real, real easy. It's, I'm not even going to write anything out. It's so easy. This is who I am. Admit that. I'm a sinner. This is what I believe Jesus paid the price. And this is my commitment. I'm going to follow you. That's the sinner's prayer. Admit, believe, 
Confess, ABC. So if I'm talking to Jeff, I'm like, Jeff, are you ready to accept Jesus? You ready to like close the gap? Jeff says, yeah. All right, real simple, man. Let's just agree together. Let's pray. Just repeat after me. Jeff, just say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is the only way to you. I commit myself to follow you. Give me a high five. You're going to heaven. Start tithing. Just kidding. <laughs> that's, that's how you close the deal, if I want to use those terms. ABC. I admit I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is the only way. Commit to follow. Now you can all lead someone to Jesus. Don't be afraid to do it. There's angels waiting out there ready to help. Do you understand? Okay, so let me do this. Uh, any questions? Comments, cries of outrage. No? You got this dialed in. Okay, I expect a full church on Sunday of people accepting Jesus. What, Brenda? Great question. Great question. Well, depending on how I'm wired, (laughs) when I talk to people about faith, I I don't talk in terms of God at all Uh, because God is so nebulous and so big. Everybody believes in God. I always talk about Jesus because Jesus is polarizing. Uh, And what I tend to say in moments like that is, I know you probably believe in God, but I need to know how you feel about Jesus. God's son, who was perfect, who died on the cross to forgive me my sin. Have you acknowledged that? I love that you believe in God. That's fantastic. Muslims believe in God. Uh, There's all these, you know. But what do you do about Jesus? And then they don't agree with you so quickly. And Jesus is what gets you to the cross, not God. Right? So that's how I typically handle things like that. Mm -hmm. If If you get back to Jesus... That's either a yes or a no. Our money says in God we trust. There's nothing about Jesus. Right? So Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What else? Did I have another question? Yeah. My, my, part of my understanding of my heart is all people want to get. Mm-hmm. And that's a real hard topic nowadays because you don't believe in it. The only religion you go to and you're forced. You believe God because you take a stance on the Lord. And I feel bad even saying that because you take the same thing again. Great, great comment. The, the question is, at, on the job, um, there's a little fine line there of how much can I say, can't I say without getting in trouble with HR. Okay, so here's the thing. If you can get them to a point where they ask you a question, you have every right to respond. If, 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 if you initiate, a, even if you initiate a spiritual conversation, COVID is brutal. I can't imagine all these people dying. Yeah, man, it's hell. Well, actually, it's not hell unless you don't know Jesus. They brought up the issue of hell. I mean, it's, it, like I said, I, just, I love this stuff. It's really easy. Um, so you can work anything around to a conversation about Christ. But you have to do the work of an evangelist 
Your mindset has to always be, how do I get this to Jesus? How do I get this conversation? How do I get this interaction to Jesus? If your mindset isn't there, all of a sudden, boom, you're gonna, it's going to be upon you, and it's going to go past, and later you're going to go, oh, my gosh, I damn gum it. How did I miss that? Right? So if it's always on your mind, then you, you start. And, then, and here's the other thing. There's the constant prayer. God, open conversations for me. He wants you to have conversations with people more than you want to have them. If you say, God, give me open doors and a keenness to pay attention, God will do it in a way that protects you so you don't have to face HR, but you've got to be praying and paying attention. Yeah, it's, yeah. If you didn't hear him, Jeff said that he teaches middle school and on the way to work, he was praying, God, give me an opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus. I'm partly repeating this for the people who are going to watch it. Um, and within the first five minutes of class, this girl said, uh, Mr. Copeland, I believe, what? I believe God's powerful, but not good. And he, and he was like, right, really? Five minutes in, we were doing this? And the whole period is talking about Christ. Yeah. <laughs> but if they ask, right? So let me, t- let me tell you this. One of the things that colors my um, passion for evangelism is my friend Rick McDonald, uh, who has been in heaven for quite a few years now. Um, he was my sixth grade fo- tackle football coach, and he was a heathen of all heathen- heathens. They, his nick- name was Rick, and they called him Rick the Prick. I mean, he was just, he was just not a good guy. Um, and he started dating this girl in our church named Lynette, uh, who was a Christian, and he accepted Christ. And between my sixth grade year and my freshman year, God did such an incredible work in Rick's life that Rick became, man, just a one of the guys that there's going to be chapters written in heaven, the heavenly history book about him. Just an incredible man. By the time I was a freshman, he accepted Christ. He was so on fire for the Lord. Um, his, our senior year in high school, um, my friend Kevin Kelly, that I had been sharing Jesus with since junior high. Now, this is since seventh grade together, me and Kevin. I've been telling, Jesus, telling him about Jesus. Six years later, senior year in high school, Rick was the wood shop teacher at Mount Whitney High School. And Rick would lead Bible studies in his classroom in his office in the wood shop. Kevin and I would always go. One afternoon, Kevin came up to me, senior in high school, second semester. He goes, Carl, I did it. I'm like, what? Like, do we need to tell somebody? (laughs) I don't know what you did. He goes, I was just talking to coach Rick and I accepted Christ. I'm like, what? Like in his office? He said, yeah, it's awesome. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's incredible. And Rick had this passion in the public school system to just this is, he was leading Bible studies back before it was popular. Uh, and he was leading kids to Christ. He's the one that took me to my first prison, Walla Walla State Pen, with Bill Glass Ministry. I was the youngest one to ever go. Talking on death row as a senior in high school. Uh, and then Jesus took him home in a plane accident. Uh, but, but that was, it was like, like even at school. God will open doors. 
and it just gets me charged, man. Fellas, any other questions, comments, cries of outreach? No? Okay. Let me pray. And then go do the work of an evangelist. Father, thank you that you love us so much that you chose to send your son to die on the cross to pay our sin penalty that we could not pay. And I thank you that you love us so much you put up with us afterwards that you do not at all expect perfection, that you offer us mercy and grace and continual forgiveness. Thank you that we cannot ever wear out your forgiveness. Father, so much of our hearts wants to be people who introduce others to you. We want to do it. Would you help us understand how you gifted us to do it? And then would you give us boldness to do the work of an evangelist in ways that fits us? And Holy Spirit, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would begin to draw people to us that need you, that are ready to talk about you in a way that fits our language, would you prod their hearts to respond? Would you help us not shrink back from the event of it? And would you help us to do the work of an evangelist? We want to be about your kingdom. And Father, I pray that many, many, many people, because of these of us sitting here, would be in heaven one day. 